Welcome to the Pacey Performance Podcast. Today, I'm speaking to high-performance coach at the US Women's National Team, Dawn Scott. Thanks for tuning in to episode 256 of the Pacey Performance Podcast. So delighted to get a fellow Northern northerner on the podcast today in Dawn Scott. So it's been an unbelievable couple of years for Dawn and the US Women's National Team with um, just securing their second World Cup a few weeks ago, a few weeks before we recorded this, um, this episode. So really interesting chat with Dawn and we start off obviously with the uh, experiences that she went through at uh, this not only this World Cup but the previous World Cup as well. What it's like to be involved in the US women's national team within US soccer as an organization. And then moving on to what high performance looks like for her and her team at US soccer. Then we dive into um, working with female athletes and it was something that came out in the press here in the UK of how they've been dealing with the menstrual cycle and maximizing times um, for recovery, maximizing times performance within that cycle. So it's something that we've not chatted about at all on the podcast so far when we've chatted about um, female athletes. But there's a section of about 15 minutes within this episode that is absolute gold for anyone who's interested in this area and are working with female athletes. Then we finish off by chatting about injury risk reduction strategies. Again, more focused towards the female athlete and what Dawn does with her team at US Soccer to um, to reduce the risk of injuries. So it's an unbelievable chat with Dawn. So, so pleased that I reached out and we were able to line it up. And it's an episode that I'm sure you'll love. This episode of the Pacey Performance Podcast is sponsored by Hawking Dynamics, the world's first wireless force plate testing system. So the Hawking Dynamics system is built around what coaches want so they can test in the real world and not just in the lab. So you're able to capture reliable data on all athletes in a matter of minutes and monitor progress from their cloud-based system from anywhere in the world. So as I've mentioned, the Hawking Dynamics force plates are wireless, which means they're portable, and they're also trusted by teams at a number of different levels in a number of different sports. So integrating force plates into your athlete monitoring system uh, could not be easier and more affordable. So if you want to get to know a little bit more about Hawking Dynamics or actually see their plates in action, Head over to the website, uh, which is hawkingdynamics.com, um, which you can do, I and mean, you can also schedule a demo, and follow them on Twitter at hawkingdynamics. This episode of the Pacey Performance Podcast is sponsored by iMeasureU. So used by leading sports practitioners and biomechanics researchers worldwide to capture and compare multi-limb inertial data in the field. IMU Step from iMeasureU is a dual sensor and app lower limb load monitoring tool which helps practitioners optimize return to play for running based sports. So iMeasureU have just released their new and improved waterproof sensor Blue Trident which includes ultra high G capabilities to quantify high impact steps such as cutting, landing and sprinting, longer battery life to collect data all day, real-time feedback to aid immediate interventions and faster workflow so practitioners can review long training sessions within minutes of training completion. 
I Measure You, now part of Vicon, works with military, pro and collegiate coaches and athletes from around the world, including the Australian Institute of Sport, US Department of Defence and collegiate and pro teams from around the world. If you want to get to know more about I Measure You, head over to their website, imeasureyou.com or follow them on Twitter or Instagram at imeasureyou. So without further ado, over to the episode with Don Scott. Thanks for tuning in to the Pacey Performance Podcast. So this evening, I'm delighted to welcome Don Scott. So welcome to the podcast, Don. Thank you, Rob. Thanks for the invite to be on. It's uh, great to be here. Absolute pleasure. Thank you for giving up your time. So anyone that doesn't know who you are, would you mind just giving us a bit of a, uh, an overview of your background, where you're from, uh, education-wise, and what you're currently doing? Sure. Um, so my current role is high performance coach with a U.S. women's national team, um, obviously out in the U.S. Uh, been here since 2010. Uh, career grew up in the Northeast, uh, Newcastle. Well, New, uh, grew up in Washington, which is kind of borderline Newcastle Sunderland, but I'm definitely a Newcastle fan uh, for my sins this season, I think. Um, went to, uh, did sports science at, at Croonar Sager, uh, Manchester Met, and then did a master's in sports nutrition um, at Aberdeen University. Um, after that, I then lectured for three and a half years down at Worcester University. Um, and then towards the end of that role, um, English Football Association expanded their medical and exercise science department. So, from 2001, um, I started at the FA, uh, working with Hope Powell um, as head of sports science for the women's team. Um, and then towards the end of that role, uh, kind of got approached by the US women's national team uh, who were ranked one in the world. And uh, so 2010, I came out uh, to LA with a couple of suitcases and I've uh, been here ever since. Excellent. So what's your what's your role at US soccer at the minute? Uh, so high performance coach with a team, uh, which involves, um, I guess, everything kind of sports science, high performance, um, when the players are in camp. So anything from kind of monitoring training loads to planning out practice, planning out training, uh, monitoring recovery, nutrition, hydration. Um, and then uh, many of the players are on kind of US soccer contracts. So I also kind of manage the players outside of national team uh, when they play with their club teams and the NWSL here. Um, so really for seven years since that league's been in place, I've kind of introduced and then developed a sports science support program across the league. And that pretty much involves replicating what we do when the players come into national team camp. So kind of work very closely with uh, Julian Haig on that, who um, kind of is, is the sports scientist for the league. And again, we just track trainer loads, GPS, heart rate, wellness, um, and then, you know, just give players conditioning programs or, or more strength-based programs um, that they follow when they go back with the clubs, work with the, the club staff on that, basically to ensure our players are a kind of healthy uh, fit and uh, yeah, kind of progressing physically where where we want them to be. Mm-hmm. So, in terms of them, kind of central contracts, are they paid by the clubs and then supplemented by US Soccer? How does that work? That that sounds different to what it is over here. It might be the same over here. I don't know. It's it's probably the other way where they get kind of the bulk of their salary from US Soccer and then it's supplemented by the NWSL, uh, their individual clubs. Um, so really kind of work and integrate with the clubs, um, you know, because appreciate, you know, clubs have one schedule, 
we have a different schedule, but try and work with them on on everything from their kind of lifting programs. Uh, you know, share share data, share information. Um, like we we just finished a, a camp last weekend, and the next day I'm sending across the the physical loads from the players from the last couple of days, and just highlighting anything individual with any players in terms of you know anything that the club might need to be aware of to then progress those players back into training and then equally on the front end of the camp um, we ask the clubs to send in um, the physical data and, and Julian works with that to kind of give me the loads of the players as they come into our camps and again on the front end of camp we can then just tailor for individual players based on what they might need. So that's, is that the same as what happens over here in the women's game or is that different? Uh, if I'm honest, I don't really know. Uh, I kind of I don't know how their contracts work or what their relationships are with the Women's Super League in, in England. Uh, you probably need to ask somebody in that system. I really don't know how that works. Mm-hmm. So that, that that kind of puts someone like obviously like Julian, who's in the clubs, almost like a like a floating member of staff. So he's very much ingrained in the in the league and within the teams, but obviously is a US soccer member of staff and that just seems obviously speaking to um like Darcy or the guys on the men's side who are very much sound like a, a normal national team when you've got not the the not too much a, a barrier but you've got like kind of two very separate agendas club agenda and international agenda but it sounds like you guys are very much ingrained in everyone's kind of pulling in the same direction by the sounds of it yeah, I mean, I think, I mean, we for sure don't dictate anything. Like, I think that is disrespectful to, you know, any club and, and the staff they've got in place. So I think that's one thing, just to be clear, like we don't dictate mm-hmm. on, on stuff, but it's more about sharing information because ultimately, you know, whatever level, like whatever level, whatever club, whatever system, you want the same for the players. You want them fit, healthy and performing. Um, so we definitely don't dictate and Yes, he is kind of embedded a little bit, but more to be available, you know, if a club needs support and anything. Because I think the other thing is, like, our league is seven years old. Uh, in its first couple of years, uh, the, the clubs pretty much had coaching staff, but they didn't have sports scientists or fitness staff. But then we've evolved over the last um, probably four years where – we then supplied, we actually supply the clubs with GPS systems. We have a shared wellness platform. Um, we share kind of educational sessions. Um, so then we host kind of workshops every year and train the clubs or the new staff in the clubs with a GPS system, um, you know, help them interpret the data um, help them integrate the different data sets that they have access to. So, I don't think, I mean, we for sure don't threaten the clubs or dictate. It's more of a shared platform to train them initially. And then, you know, they kind of go off and and do their thing with their own kind of um, coaches in that club. Um, and we're kind of more here to provide assistance, support if they might need that. Mm-hmm. Cool. Uh, are you involved in anything kind of lower down from the seniors? Um, not directly, and some of that is, you know, we, uh, again, when I first started in 2001, there wasn't a high-performance department. Um, the men's national team, I think, had um, kind of staff who came in and out for camps. They didn't really have anybody full-time, and certainly on the women's side, I was the first full-time sports science staff. Um, and and for four or five years, kind of worked like that. They started to get more 
kind of per diem staff with with some of their camps, with some of their teams. And then in 2017, uh, January, James Bunce came in as high performance director and he's kind of built out a high performance department. Um, so uh, the the answer is, is no specifically, but with the department, there is more staff now. Um, you know, there's um, Ellie Mabry works across the, the women's youth national team. So we kind of have some interaction and dialogue, but not directly. And that's purely because of our schedules being so busy. Um, you know, I think so far this year, the, the women's team have had 150 days on the road. So, you know, you're kind of like, you spend a lot of time on the road and then you don't really have much time to catch up um, from that respect. But I think, you know, the way James is going with the department, I think there'll be more of those interactions and dialogue. And, you know, I certainly think a integrated system kind of on the women's side and, and men's side, like top down, bottom up is is really important for the future progression of the game and, and development of the women's game. Mm-hmm. Cool. So given it's only a couple of weeks since uh, you guys won the World Cup, it'd be, I'd just love to get a, a bit of an insight into what it was like for you to be involved in um, in the World Cup win, just the, the kind of excitement around it, um, the kind of expectation, everything that went on. What was it like to be in and around it at the uh, at the time? Yeah, I mean... Um... I think the expectation with with the US women's national team, and this isn't being arrogant, but they have this kind of pressure and expectation that they should win every game. So kind of that in itself kind of puts a lot of pressure on the team. And, you know, I feel like the players deal well with that. But I also feel like as staff, and for me in particular, I feel like I'm quite an even keel character. Um, And I don't... I don't necessarily get stressed or I do get stressed, but certainly don't show that to the players or, or the coaches. Um, I kind of more go quiet if I'm kind of feeling stressed or pressured. Um, and I think that's important as a, you know, as a member of staff, especially kind of when games matter. Um, I'm fortunate that that's kind of the fourth World Cup that I've been involved in. Uh, 2007, I was involved with England when they when we qualified for the first time. Um, the irony is that USA beat us 4-0 in the in the quarterfinals uh, that day. Um, and then in 2011, was working with the US team. Uh, we got to the final of the World Cup and then got beat on um, on penalties uh, from by Japan. Um, and then was involved in 15 when we won in Canada and then 19 this year. Um, it's interesting with this team because they have, we have like two two kind of competitive years, if you like, where it's a, a World Cup and an Olympics year, um, like back to back. And then there's two years where, you know, we play competitive games, but um, they're friendly games. So kind of the outcome, you know, you're kind of not knock, knocked out because of the out- outcome. So, Definitely when you're in a tournament, there's that added pressure once you progress from a group that, you know, this is kind of the penultimate, like it's either win or or you kind of go home. So that for sure adds an extra pressure. I think other than that, like my mantra always is kind of just do your job day to day. And if there's something that I feel like you can add into what you're doing with the players and it could make a benefit for their performance or recovery for the next game or the next training session, you kind of try it and introduce it. And as long as it's not going to have any adverse effects, kind of you do it. Um, you know, even the staff around the team has grown across the three kind of World Cups that I've been involved in. Um, and so, again, I think that has an added challenge of, 
like two things. Like one, you've suddenly got more staff who have an opinion about things. So, you know, I think it's important that, you know, like that's kind of managed so that staff are on the same page. Um, but then I also think the management of, of the staff for that group to be kind of cohesive behind the team is so important because, you know, the players are interacting with all of those staff every single day. So, um, I mean, it's, you know, I'm super humbled, honoured every single day to be involved with this team, with these players, because they're just kind of amazing athletes, amazing amazing women um, and amazing soccer players. So it's, you know, it's it's fun to be involved. And, um, yeah. How do, how do you manage that increase in staff and that cohesion like like you uh, the word that you used how, how do you manage that as a as a high performance coach and making sure everyone is communicating the same way talking about the same things using the same language etc um i mean there's a few things um in 2016 again that's probably um when our staff kind of did grow a bit from 15 to 16 and um this might sound pretty sad but on uh, on match days um, I started having uh, having setting up, organising kind of staff boot camp sessions, <laughs> which might sound crazy, but uh, we would have like 15, 20 staff coming to those sessions. And um, it might sound mad, but I actually think it, it grew the cohesion of the group and staff would meet other staff um, in different departments, like say the communications team and the medical team. And then, you know, some of our administration team would be, mixing in those sessions and I think they just got to know people that they wouldn't usually get to know and you know we'd have fun and banter in those sessions and then you know suddenly when you're loading a truck at 4am 5am and those staff are there like it becomes more enjoyable might not be the right word but you know you don't mind as much because actually you're doing it with people that you now know and interact with um so I feel like that was the start of trying to kind of help with that cohesion. I think the other thing to be, you know, clear with, like, I'm not saying it was my role and my responsibility to do it, but I felt like by doing some of that would help with that cohesion. And, you know, I think other staff, you know, like like I just said there, you've got communications department, you've got medical department, you've got performance analysis. So, you know, I think the staff heading up each of those departments almost do their jobs within there themselves. Um I think the other thing that um, myself and, and the team administrator did this year, like we would just kind of hold like meetings with all of that that kind of support staff and give updates in terms of the hotels or the travel plan or like kind of kept them involved in some of the planning um, that was going on with the team. So, you know, I think from the the match day staff boot camp sessions and then the, the planning meetings, I think staff just felt more involved and, um, kind of more valued because, like, I just felt we were more cohesive as a group. And, you know, I think that is just so important behind any successful team. Mm-hmm. Excellent. So just moving on to the um, to kind of, I suppose, day-to-day in the role, in terms of a high-performance team that has been built out um, over there, what, is, what does high-performance look like for you on a day-to-day basis what are you guys obviously you're working towards winning the world cup but on a from a departmental level what are you guys what 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 does that look like what does excellent look like for you guys wow that's a big question um Mm. i mean obviously within the kind of high performance department that that james has built out there's you know there's kind of like three big strands one being medical 
one being sports science, which is obviously where I sit, and then the performance analysis. Um, and then, it, you know, there's obviously an administration strand that sits in there in terms of approval of budgets and things like that. So, you know, I obviously can't comment on the, the performance analysis and medical. Um, but, you know, I think in the sports science, um, you know, obviously you think uh, – you know, James has been into women's national team camps and kind of seen the role and, you know, whether it's feedback um, kind of things from him in terms of things that we could either add in or or do better or, um, you know, I think in terms of day-to-day, again, I think even the youth teams are very different to the women's team because with the women's team, because we have that close um, interaction with the end of SL, like for me, when I'm not on the road with the women's national team I'm pretty much hands-on with the NWSL um or like following up with players or checking in with players um I think on some of the the youth teams obviously you've got the the male side where I know Andy Guards works works with our uh, U20 men's team who previously worked with me with the NWSL and you know he I guess deals with um some of the pro clubs where some of those US players are now playing um, Ellie Mabry with the, the women's youth teams will, will kind of deal with some of the colleges and some of the development academies. Um, so I think they have those interactions and obviously I have the interactions with NWSL. Um, again, when I'm not on the road, again, it's it's dealing with them and kind of looking at, at train loads of our players. Is there anything we think they could add in? Um, you know, are players wellness dropping and just checking in with players? Are they doing okay? Players on return to play, you know, kind of, uh, integrate with our medical staff and you know is is a player kind of medically if we look at integration of, of the women's national team medical sports science and then the NWSL medical team sports science I think coming up with an integrated program that we're all happy with and consistent with to kind of get the player back healthy um I don't know if that answers that or if you're more thinking like on the road kind of in camp and what that looks like no, that's that. That's absolutely fine. But it's interesting you say that because what, when you are on when you are on camp, what are your obviously your goals are to to um, keep them fit for one, um, and and work with the team as a as a group. But from a performance team, is there any kind of bigger goals that you maybe want to tick off when you're on camp and you've actually got contact with all the girls, all all the girls at the same time? I mean, again, it depends on the phase of where we're at of the cycle. Um, I'm commonly known as the as the countdown person of number of days, you know, kind of before uh, qualification for a major tournament or, you know, kind of once you've checked that box, actual number of days leading into a tournament. Um, you know, I always will plan out with the head coach um, kind of what that looks like in terms of, you know, when we might want to do any testing and what that tester might be, Um when we might want to follow up, how can we integrate any testing that we might want to do with the NWSL? Like, can we go in and test at the NWSL levels, which means we get our national team players tested, which means when they come into a national team camp, they don't need to be tested with us. Um, you know, from a, a nutrition standpoint, again, you know, we had a dietitian in place um, for the first time this year. Um, so again, it was looking at um, which camps would be most effective for the dietitian to come in and when would the dietitian deliver team workshops? When would she deliver individual? Was there a time when she might look at body composition? When might we um, refine our menus? Uh, you know, what kind of educational handouts might she do? So I think it's kind of looking at, you know, like 
probably three-year cycle leading into a World Cup and where does NWSL season fit in? When are our national team games? When is most appropriate to test? When might be a good time to screen? Um, and then when would we get feedback to players when they're going to have an off-season? So I think there's a lot of planning goes into what we actually do either on camp, out of camp, and what that schedule actually looks like as well. Mm-hmm. In, in terms of testing and screening, do you have anything, any stand, anything standardised that runs throughout the, the players that you've got in the clubs? Um, with the screening, um, again, I would say prior to kind of the high performance department coming in, uh, we looked at different systems uh, to introduce. Um, and then I think since we... Uh, we got our head athletic trainer in last year, Steve Stricker. Um, he's now kind of establishing, along with the kind of medical department, um, standardised screening. So I think that is kind of being uh, developed now. Like, if again, if you think James has only been in place for short of two years and, and some of the staff have only been in place for less than a year, it's, it's still a process getting some of those things finalised, but they are working towards that. Um, from a testing standpoint, um, Again, with the women's team, kind of just continued to refine that. Like when I first came in uh, in 2010, the coach at the time, Pia Sundhag, just loved doing the peep test, which uh, was easy for me to administer, though it wasn't so great for the players. Um, but, you know, we've seen results with it. Like we track players, we've seen players progress through levels, um, and, it, and it worked and it served a purpose then. Um I think a big a big thing and a big challenge like for the team, but then also in the US is like we don't have a facility. We don't have one place where we always go and train. So again, if you look at test and whatever that might be, like always surface um, and weather, climate are, are kind of big things that we have to take into account because, you know, if you're going to test outside, you do grass or turf, even turf. Like, I know this like the back of my hand from 2015, the World Cup being on turf. Like, every turf is different. Um, and then even the weather, like, you know, again, if you're going to test outdoors, um, the weather where you go is, is totally different depending on where you are in the US. So then we went through a stage where we tried to test indoors. Even that's a nightmare because, again, like, surfaces indoors are just not consistent and not the same. So I think that has been kind of one challenge. Um, I think the other piece is how does it feed back into the the performance of the player of what you're trying to do? What are the most appropriate tests that you can do where you can then program and and kind of affect change kind of in essence? So I think with the women's team, like we've kind of gone through various things and I'm more track and monitor than test per se, I would say. Um, You know, whether that's using like the gym aware with some of the strength uh, work that we're monitoring. We also got in the... um, uh, oh my goodness, uh, the force plates uh, this past year. So again, kind of having those, we kind of measured some of those factors uh, more consistently using a MAS test rather than a, a regular kind of beep test to then program intervals or train them for players. Um, and then uh, with the league, we've actually kind of profiled our league since 2016. Um, so basically myself and either Andy at the time or Julian now, uh, literally go on the road for five days. We'll both hit five clubs and we have a standard battery of tests that we do. And again, it's not necessarily to collect that for us. It's more to give back to the clubs Um, because, again, some of the clubs don't have access to testing equipment or resources. So first first week of pre-season, we'll give the clubs 
their tests and data on their players. And then it's up to the clubs who now all have like full-time sports scientists to then go, okay, these are our fitness levels. This is what we do or don't want to do based on that data. So in in terms of that, that data that comes back from the clubs to you, how are you, what's the pro what's that process like and how are you kind of interpreting that and then feeding the information back to them from what you've you've surmised from all that data? Well, it's involved uh, Julian getting very smart with Power BI and <laughs> Arco and things like that. So he for sure is uh, is probably an expert in those areas now. Um, some of it has been kind of US soccer developing their own like centralized API system. Um, again, kind of the, the department moving towards a centralized AMS system. So again, that's their things that are kind of still in process. Um, so again, with, with some of the GPS, it, again, it's just clubs uploading it to this centralized system and um, thus then having access to the national team players and being able to see their loads and, and so on. And, you know, Julian then just help them with cleaning up some of the data. I think first and foremost, we maybe spent first couple of years just trying to get clean data for the clubs. Um, and then I think, you know, you accomplish that and then you start making more interpretations. And once you do that, you can then start integrating different data sets. Um, and then you're also now building up um, game profiles. So, you know, I think being able to profile our league of what typically is a load for different positions um, and then for each club now having a good data set on individual players, they can now see what a typical profile is for a player, let alone a position and, you know, then just helps with their whole tracking and monitoring of that player. Um, and then similar, you know, kind of the testing database, just having a centralised system and, again, you know, kind of building out reports. So this year the clubs get um, their data from this year, but then their average for the last uh, when we started in 16, 16, 17, so the last three years. And then, you know, for individual players, we we send a one-pager report um, for each individual player. So if the clubs want to give that to the player, the player can then see, you know, if they've been in the league four years, they can now see their fitness levels across the four years and, and some of their game data. So I think it's very much about sharing and the education as much as us collating that data. Um and, you know, just helping the clubs and the players. Like four or five years ago, most of the players probably wouldn't know what a GPS was, let alone what distances they might cover in a game. Whereas now you hear players talking about, I don't know, high-speed running or fitness levels or or MAS or something like that. So, like, for me, that's as, as satisfying as, as kind of, you know, kind of winning a game because it just shows that the education piece and awareness of players is is increased and, you know, that clubs have done a good job of doing that mm-hmm. so you've the, the clubs have got their gps units for for the players if you had one other bit of equipment that you could kit out all the clubs with that would feed back to you and give you inf- more information what you wanted what would that be would there be anything that'd be on your hit list maybe the four stacks because i think you can get so much from that um and it would be nice for each club to have that that's probably not the cheapest thing to do um, four sticks or, or gym aware, like so, like one of those two. I just think from a, you know, I feel like from the um, the GPS, you get their kind of trainer loads and everything they're doing on the field. I think from um, four sticks or gym aware or something like that, you can then track and monitor, you know, whether it's a vertical jump or a squat, something they might be doing in the gym and, you know, something that is measurable and, and not too fatiguing, but that you can track and monitor. 
um, you know, throughout a season or, you know, even on a recovery day, that wouldn't take too much out of a player. So we're just going to take a very quick break in the chat with Dawn. Hope you enjoyed part one. So as I mentioned in, in the intro, the first 15 minutes of this part two are absolute gold for anyone that is interested in uh, maximizing time during the menstrual cycle when working with female athletes. So get a pen and paper and make sure you write this down for anyone interested or those working with female athletes because it's absolutely fantastic. Point by point, some real world examples, what they did during the World Cup, um, just some really, really good information. Then we have a little look towards the back end of the part two about injury risk reduction and some of the strategies that, uh, that Don, the performance team at US Soccer used to not only try to tick that box, but also um, track the girls in their progress when they're away from camps and tournaments. So I hope you enjoy part two, but just before we do get into part two, I want to say a big thanks to Fatigue Science for sponsoring this episode today. So Fatigue Science have exclusive access of the SAFT model, which is an algorithm developed by the US Army. And if you listen to my episode with Ian Dunican, you'll know exactly what I'm talking about. So the SAFT model analyzes uh, a number of different factors in your sleep history to predict your fatigue for the day ahead. So the alertness score indicates fatigue predicted effects on your reaction time, your lapse index, your mental output, all, all things that are obviously essential for the performance that you're gonna undertake that day. So as you can tell, it is much more than a sleep tracking device. However, it is a sleep tracking device. But not only does it track sleep, um, it considers the time you went to sleep, how well you slept, how much sleep debt you have, and even your local sunrise and sunset times. So a really impressive bit of kit is the ready band from Fatigue Science. So if you are interested in getting to know a little bit more about Fatigue Science, head over to their website, uh, fatiguescience.com, but also follow them on Twitter at Fatigue Science. Also sponsoring the Pacey Performance podcast today is Omega Wave. So Omega Wave is an, the only non-invasive at rest technology on the market that analyzes readiness to train for both the brain and cardiac analysis. So using DC potential and HRV to understand your brain's energy levels and autonomic nervous system balance, it allows you to use objective data on recovery and readiness that in turn helps you to truly individualize training and then optimize performance. Omega Wave also measures ECG from the V6 position and this data can be used by the medical practitioner to check cardiac health on a frequent basis. So this measurement only takes four minutes to perform and results are visualized in an intuitive way thanks to their windows of trainability concept. So Omega Wave is used by hundreds of elite sport, military and law enforcement agencies and are now the official partner of the UFC Performance Institute. So if you want to learn more about Omega Wave, visit their website, which is omegawave.com and on their social media channels. So one thing that I wanted to chat about, and I think it was, I think I'd seen it in the press during the World Cup, and it was around um, mapping the menstrual cycle to in, to improve performance during the World Cup. Was that, that, that was from you guys, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, well, yeah, yeah. Would you be able to talk to us a little bit about that? Um, I'm 254 episodes in. This has not been discussed, so feel free. So feel free to go as basic, and then kind of, uh, yeah, go where you want with it because it's all it's all new to the podcast. So that's this is great. 
Yeah, no worries. I mean, obviously working in women's sport, I've always had an awareness of menstrual cycle. I think my big thing always was with a group of whatever, 20, 25, 30 players in camp, how can you ever individualize for players? Um, you know, whether that's training, whether that's strength work, you know, in a warm-up, you don't have a luxury that you can split off into five or six different groups based on, you know, where a player might be in the phase of their cycle. So I always had an awareness of it. And then, um, you know, three or four years ago, we um, probably after 2015, we, with our wellness um program that we use we started collecting some of the menstrual cycle data in there and again that was just really basic where it was just players would input the first day of their menstrual cycle of their period um, and then the the app would show like days one two three four five so at least you knew kind of the players were on the period like phase one of their cycle right then so you know again it was like we then progressed to that but you know some of that also is compliance of the players um like if they put in one cycle and then miss two, like what is that really giving you? So um, that was kind of the start point. And then, you know, kind of the year after it was starting to educate the clubs, the players in terms of the importance of tracking that. Um, compliance was was um, improved with that. Um, and then kind of, I guess, all the while and, and a little bit in the background, Got to meet uh, Brian Moore, who works with Orico, and he introduced me to uh, Dr. Georgie Broomvels, who's done some research in this area. So, you know, we started having conversations around it and, you know, started reading some of the work that she does in terms of some of the symptoms that she sees, some of the impact effect on performance, um, you know, some of the interventions that you potentially could do. Um, again, my big thing was kind of not sure I can get kind of funding to kind of work with you on this or introduce it and also still was like, you know, how, scratching my head in terms of how could we introduce it. Um, and then I think it was more towards the end of 2018, again, with with a few players was just really starting to notice some correlations between some of the wellness data where it was either sleep was affected, fatigue was increased or muscle soreness was increased um, and then, like, once I would notice those kind of dips, then, like, a couple of days later, I'd be noticing players were kind of starting their menstrual cycle, their period. And I was like, okay, like, how can we now try and spot that ahead of time? Um, so, again, conversation with Georgia Broomvels and, you know, crooks with it was she had developed a app called Fit Our Woman. Um, I mean, it's a, it's a great app, and I feel like any kind of female athlete out there um you know it would be a good resource to to start getting some education around the menstrual cycle um a big thing with it is you know it's a app where you can track um kind of menstrual cycle symptoms and so on um but it also gives you education in terms of what each phase of the menstrual cycle means what are some of the signs and symptoms and then through diet and then also training how you can try and minimize some of those impacts of those symptoms. Um, so the education piece was great. The nutrition stuff was great. But what wasn't appropriate to, to our group of players was the training interventions because what you wouldn't want is either a players on national team camp or with the NWSL club. And, you know, the app's telling them you shouldn't be doing, I don't know, explosive work or speed work today. 
and they've got a speed session or they've got a game or, you know, with the app telling them they're at an increased risk of injury and they've got a game because, you know, you don't want those negative thoughts with a player. Um, so then at the same time, the uh, they, the guys developed a, a, a platform called Fit Our Coach where you could correlate the Fit Our Woman uh, with a Fit Our Coach and then the coach could see exactly which phase every player was in and then what some of those signs symptoms would be and how you can then reduce some of the symptoms. Um, so what we actually did was because we now had three years of menstrual cycle data from from our wellness app that we use, um, we rather than have the players fill in fit, fit Our Woman, we actually exported the data from uh, our wellness app and the, the guys um, at Fit Our Coach would then pull up our data so then we could actually see what was a typical cycle length for each player based on the the two, three years of data? Because again, like people commonly think menstrual cycle is 28 days, but it can actually range from like 24 to 38. And it's just very individual to a player. Um, we also kind of, James James Bunce approved it and worked with our, our um, Dr. Monica Rowe. Um, basically, um, Georgie had a survey that she developed where basically players fill in this this 90 question survey and um, it just identifies key signs, symptoms for, for individual players and, you know, how the player individually feels like it affects their performance. So we basically had each player fill that in and then from exporting that um, menstrual cycle data, we pulled that into fit our coach. And so then it was kind of like we had a summary of the key symptoms for each player which phase each player felt was most affected when they had the worst symptoms. And then from the export, we actually mapped out throughout the World Cup which phase every player was in every day that we're out there. Like in in total, we had 50 days on the road. Um, As a player moved through a different phase, Georgie would just send me a message. We then developed some kind of visuals uh, around the hotel, which basically defined which there's four key phases and for each phase – what some of the key symptoms were, how you could minimise some of those symptoms, uh, whether it was diet, recovery, sleep. Um, and then as a player moved through a phase, like basically Georgie would update me and then I would either speak to the player or, you know, just text them. And then the visual would literally be by the lift as they would get in it to go to a mirror room or whatever. And, you know, the player could then just see, hey, like I'm in phase three, okay, I need to check this. Or like phase four is probably one of the biggest areas just before you start your menstrual cycle where kind of recovery is minimized, is kind of affected, sleep is can be affected, disturbed, can get an increase in fatigue. So, you know, just saying, saying to players, hey, like you're in this phase, just like be super diligent with your recovery or, you know, you're going to struggle with sleep, like giving them kind of casein, protein or, or something that might help them like to have better quality sleep. So I wouldn't say we like changed training. It was more... Let's try and actually minimise some of those symptoms. Um, like if a player felt felt bloated or uh, felt like they were more fatigued or had more soreness again in a certain phase, okay, can we give them some kind of antioxidant or anti-inflammatory food? Or, you know, we had the chef make nutritional shots so that, again, those players could have those shots or foods at that certain phase. And I don't know, like, did it work? Like we did 100 other things um but you know i feel like from just visually seeing some of like the players who had been affected um they were probably not as 
as affected or, or performance for sure was not affected for any of those players. And, you know, again, just speaking back to some of those players about like sleep and soreness and fatigue, like throughout the World Cup and um, c- compared to kind of previously a, a different phase of the menstrual cycle, you know, I think like subjectively players like for sure, like felt better and, you know, were just more aware of some of those symptoms and then trying to reduce them. Mm-hmm. Very interesting. So I know you've mentioned it quite a few times in there, but is it possible to go for you to go through the, the, the phases and potentially give us some examples of symptoms that girls um, may, be, may be going through and then potential um, how you've gone about trying to minimise them effects? Yeah, for sure. I mean, um, like I say, there's kind of four uh, key phases and I, I, I'm hoping I'm not speaking out of turn because uh, for sure uh, <laughs> Georgie is the expert on this, but, um, you know, kind of like phase one is um, is your onset of your period. Um, so, you know, obviously um, players are, are, are bleeding during that time and if a player's got heavy blood flow, um, you know, chances are you are... Uh, losing blood and that could be um you know if that's a heavy flow um that could be significant and can obviously affect performance if you've got less blood available in the system so you know even things like iron um so again kind of in combination with um uh, in combination of uh, of um our blood draw as well and um, being aware of, of iron levels of players and even kind of when we did do the blood draw like we did it in three times kind of in the lead up in the in the six months of the um of the uh of, of this year sorry in the lead up to the world cup and reviewing those with the dietitian and with our our doctor like again you are now um you know just more aware of uh where where in the phase of, of the menstrual cycle a player was at so again maybe as if their iron levels were were dropped a bit lower and a player was reporting heavy menstrual bleeding um, you know, again, kind of those things now start to correlate a little bit. So, um, yeah, phase one, um, uh, like I say, is kind of onset of, of period. Um, then you kind of move into kind of phase two. Um, and again, during that phase, um, estrogen levels are rising uh, to a peak uh, just before kind of ovulation. Um, progesterone levels are still a little bit low. And again, some of the thinking is that... Um, Kind of in the first half of your of your cycle is is the time to kind of push on performance and develop a little bit. In the second half of your cycle, when recovery and sleep are more affected, that's probably the time when you should more maintain some of those levels and and really focus on recovery. Um, and then as you kind of um, fo- uh, sorry lead into to phase three, um, estrogen levels start dropping off and um, ovulation occurs, um, and then after ovulation, kind of estrogen and progesterone hormones start increasing again. Um, and again, kind of some of the thinking is that some of the ligaments can be a bit more lax and that's the reason for more kind of maintenance rather than developing in that phase um, of your cycle. And then kind of phase four is uh, is is kind of those kind of four or five um, days before your menstrual cycle. And again, that's kind of where for some players – Kind of, they could get increased bloating, uh, water retention, uh, recovery can be can be lower, uh, ligaments can be more loose, they can feel more tired, more fatigued. So again, really focusing on the recovery um, from the bloating, any kind of um, 
anti-inflammatory type foods. Um, and then, you know, from recovery, just kind of the antioxidant type foods um, and focusing on them. And then the other piece is, is sleep. And, you know, if a player needs to kind of nap during that phase, like, again, for me as an elite athlete anyway, like, I feel like sometimes um, athletes think it's like a weakness to, to be napping. But I think sleep is such an underrated uh, tool of recovery that, you know, for that especially during that phase, but generally for athletes, like napping if they need to, if if they feel that they need to top up their sleep. Um, so there were some of kind of the key things we focused on. And like I say, it was just tips, reminders to players um, that they were in this phase and um, to just really focus on on those things. Um, you know, the other piece in that phase four is kind of mood state can, can change for players. And, uh, you know, again, just kind of promoting foods, um, to help with that serotonin type foods, um, you know, just to help with that and, and relax mood state. Um, Magnesium is another good one um, kind of in that phase. Um, so, you know, I think some of those promoting some of those foods or or whatever, um, I don't know, like, again, seem to be beneficial and um, the players were bought into it and were doing it. Um, you know, I think the other thing we'd see is that, you know, players, groups of players who hung out together tended to gravitate into the same phases. Um, and, you know, that was – obviously you read that and you, and you see it, but to actually see it to the extent of the groups who hang out together or kind of gravitate into that phase was quite interesting. And, you know, I think players then openly started speaking about it because, um, again, the other thing that, that we tried to do this year – was break down the taboo of, of speaking about it with kind of male staff around the team. So, again, when when we went out and did the fitness testing in um, February, March this year, um, we always deliver a, a workshop to the players and we were like, okay, this year let's do menstrual cycle. And, you know, alongside Georgie, we just kind of built out a, a deck to deliver and Julian delivered that in, in four or five of the markets and I delivered that. And, you know, he kind of openly like went out there and delivered it. And I think the first one he felt uncomfortable and then it was like, hey, like, no, that like this should be a topic we can speak about. And equally when I was presenting, uh, two things. One, the male staff would disappear and actually at one club they got the male staff back and were like, like we want you to be in here and listen to it because we want to be able to talk about it openly. Um, and even in like some of the talks when – like I was speaking, you could see the players like like really like shuffle down in the seats because they felt awkward. But then as you went through and highlighted certain kind of symptoms, like you would see them start nodding. And then when you were like, well, you could take this nutritionally to try and reduce the symptom or, you know, just have good sleep hygiene to try and promote your sleep when you know you might suffer. Um, you know, and then players were reaching out and asking questions. So you know, I think first and foremost, it's a whole education piece um, and breaking down that taboo to make it a topic that we can talk about. Superb. Thank you very much for that. That's, that's super, 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 super interesting. Um, so I, I, I said I'd keep it to the hour. So we've got five or 10 minutes left. And just like to touch on the injury risk reduction strategies that you've developed Um with the girls over there and obviously talking about more the supposed biomechanical um, side of things. Is there anything, do you just want to mind talking about the, the process that you went through and then we'll actually get onto the, you know, what, what it looks like in practice with the girls that you're coming to contact with in camps and then obviously filtering that out to the league. So in terms of building out a process, what was the, um, 
the thought behind the the strategies that you have put in place with the girls? I mean, obviously, that's working very closely with our head athletic trainer and, and the medical group. Um, so, um, you know, like I say, we kind of looked at other systems um, prior to last year. And then last year, um, uh, July time, we had our current head athletic trainer come in. Um, so then once we qualified for the World Cup in October, we were we collectively sat down and was like, okay, what, what does that look like? Um, so then he came up with protocols or movements that, that he thought were important and, and um, wanted to look at. And then alongside that, we then had the four sticks, we had the Nord board, we had the groin bar. Um, so we then were like, okay, like the the um, the kind of exercises or movements he wanted the players to go to, like obviously they videoed, but some of it's subjective in terms of like the visual looking at that. And then we had the objective of, um, you know, four sticks, Nord board, groin bar. So then look at, we did a, a, a single leg, triple leg hop as well and, and videoed that. So, uh, And then what we did was we'd also done the blood draw. So then kind of we did some of that initial testing um, in October. Then we had a camp in the November. And at that camp in the November, um, myself, uh, Steve, our head athletic trainer, and, and Monica, the doctor, sat, sat down and met with each player individually and spoke through all of the results um had like a you know like it was easy to do like might sound death by powerpoint but just had a one pager on powerpoint for each player where they could visually see their results but then also for some of their movements had video so say like from the the four stakes that then we kind of videoed every movement like front on side on so nothing rocket science but like just showed the players and then suddenly if they looked at it and either their knee bent, bent in or their hip dropped in, they visually could see it. And then, you know, it would be working with Steve and collectively between us, just giving the players exercises to try and correct some of those discrepancies that were going on left, right. Um, other than that, like, I think my big thing is, like, you can never you can never fully prevent injuries. Injuries are going to happen. Um, you can certainly kind of reduce um the rate of injuries, I think. Um, but I think that isn't just from an injury prevention program. I think the other big thing that we focused on was um, kind of the strength programs from the play for the players and, and then being diligent with those. Like we, we had access to an online kind of um, training program app. So again, the players were then given programs through the app, which two things, one, they could now see videos of the actual exercise they were going to do. And then we could also see compliance because the players would check off an exercise when they did it. And, you know, if a player didn't fill an exercise in, it was kind of on the phone, you know, was there a reason? Is there something alternative that we can do for that player? Um, and then every time they would come back in, we would, we would use the gym aware. We would, uh, uh, use the four stacks again and and kind of like just track and monitor that over a period of time and you know if a play and use the nord again and use the groin bar so again if you know there was left right discrepancy like were we closing were we closing that difference were we also making the players stronger um if a player was like great what is it that was having that impact what do we need to change equally if a player wasn't or the left right was getting bigger like what was going on again from Steve's assessment was there something else that was happening with a player that we needed to address so I don't think it was one system I think it was a kind of a collective and ongoing monitoring and 
you know, either a hands-on assessment or then using some of that objective data from from those various tools. Um, and then, you know, the final piece is the coach's observation because you can be doing all of that stuff, but if the coach isn't happy of, about how a player is performing physically or, you know, like she thinks like they're affected left or right or whatever, like, you know, you take that into account as well from the the, the visual of, of coaches as well. Um so it was a really collective, like I feel like the whole time through that process. With the strength training app that the, the girls were sent away with to, to fill in for the um, to, to monitor compliance and obviously give them information regarding video. So are you still using that when the girls are with you in camps? Um, yes, we are. Yeah, I mean, again, obviously, post World Cup was was just kind of. You know, they had 10 days and then they were back in with their clubs. So, again, some of that was the communication back to the clubs of here's their GPS loads. And, you know, for the players who were playing a lot of minutes, they didn't really get any kind of lift and strength sessions in, like during the last, you know, four games of the tournament because you're accumulating so much playing time, whereas the other players got some more maintenance sessions in. So, for the ones who played a lot of minutes, it was kind of getting them back on a really basic program. Um, so yeah, we're still kind of using that and, and kind of sharing that information for for some players now. It's easier that their clubs are are prescribing those sessions because they do it more as a as a team session. For other players, kind of I'm still prescribing those. Or we've got a couple of return to play players. So again, again we can kind of all see kind of what's being set for those players. Excellent. Well. I'm one minute over the hour, so I'm just going to say thank you very much for, for giving up your, your time to have a little chat, and especially about the World Cup chat. It's re- really, really interesting. But if anyone's got any questions that they want to ask you about anything that we've chatted about or haven't chatted about, where's the best place for anyone to get in touch? I mean, probably through, uh, I hate to say it in this day and age, but I think it is also probably the most transparent. Probably on Twitter is probably the best way. Uh, my Twitter handle is dawnscott 6 um, so that's probably the, the easiest way to, to get in touch with me. Is 06 because you sent a half? Uh, no, it was just the first number that was available. <laughs> <laughs> I wish it was more exciting than that. <laughs> no, that's all good. No problem. Well, thank you very much, Don. Really appreciate you giving up your time. And uh, it's been fascinating to have a chat with you and, and, and go through what we've discussed. So thank you very much. Yeah, no worries. You're very welcome. Thank you again for uh, inviting me on. It was good to catch up finally. No worries. Thanks a lot. See you later. See you, bye. Thanks for tuning in to episode 256 of the Pacey Performance Podcast. I hope you enjoyed the chat with Dawn. So massive thanks to Dawn for coming on the podcast and giving us a rundown of her experiences in the World Cup, but also working with the US um, women's national team. Also, big thanks to her for going into such detail, such fantastic detail on how they maximise recovery and performance in their female athletes around the menstrual cycle. So really interesting chat that we haven't heard in the podcast before. So big thanks to Fatigue Science, Omega Wave, Hawking Dynamics and I Measure You for sponsoring this episode today. So thank you again for your support. Got a roundtable coming up next week that I'm sure you'll love um, on uh, senior football senior soccer so along the soccer theme again football theme again Um, but thank you very much for your support hope you tune in next week and i will speak to you then